Good morning, City Gate. How's everybody doing this morning? Unanimously, that sounded like good. Well, first of all, I'm very thankful and humble to be up here, but I'm also very excited. I'm very uh, filled up with um, what I want to be able to convey to you on uh, some lessons that I learned um, as we go through this continued series of the Hall of Faith, as Pastor said. And <clears throat> I got to start out with this. I've been practicing just so that I make sure I do a good job, right? Anybody out here got kids? A lot of us, right? So my practice was at my house in my kitchen, and I had a very captive audience. And I think Heather and I found a great way to put the kids to sleep now. Because <laughs> they were out every time. So if you fall asleep today, the Lord has blessed me with being able to put people to sleep, almost like a sleep remedy, I guess. Um, the kids were out. Now, Daniel didn't even want to be here. He was like, I'll just go in the, the room over here and play with the kids. Thanks, Dad. I'll see you later. But Gracie's here. So thank you, Gracie. Don't fall asleep today, okay? Um, but before we get started, I, I do want to open up with prayer. So if you would, just bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. And we are about to dive into your living word, and we ask that you open up the hearts and the minds and the ears of your people. This is your word to feed them. And we ask that as they open up their minds and their hearts, that they learn and gain new perspective to choose faith and not fear. We bind the enemy right now in the name of Jesus. We bind him over any doubt or fear, and we keep faith filled in this room. And we do this in your son's mighty name. Amen. All right, so again, Hall of Faith series, we are going to continue that, and we've learned so much from our past guest speakers. There were different characters that we went through, and I decided to choose Gideon, and I think the initial attraction for me was there's a battle, there's only 300, and they're going up against the odds that are stacked against them, and I'm an underdog story fan. Anybody an underdog story fan? So spoiler alert, they win. The battle is won with only 300. But what I have found is there is so much more to Gideon's story. And there were several things that I learned. One, I had much more in common with Gideon than I thought. Two, this is definitely a story of building faith. Three, God has incredible power. And four, God is very patient, very patient. So I pray that you will find some of those same connections like I did, and I hope you gain some new perspective, and I hope you increase your faith today, and I hope that you are drawn more closer to God when I am done sharing. But let me catch you up, because if you've never been in the book of Judges before, um, it's not the most popular book of the Bible, I would say. Um, I don't know. There's a survey that was done. Uh, but for me, it wasn't the one book that I turn to when I'm running and looking for answers. And sure enough, there's a lot of answers in there, believe it or not. But timeline, I want to catch everybody up. We're coming right out of the time period where Joshua has given the Israelites the promised land. And on his deathbed, he warns the Israelites to not turn away from God. And they do the very thing he told him, told them not to do. In one generation, it was all lost. 
And we are in this time period of judges now. The Israelites lose their connection to God over and over and over again. There's this vicious cycle that has begun, a pattern in the book of Judges. And it's where the Israelites lose their covenant with God. They fall victim to their surroundings. And then they beg for mercy and help. And God steps in and helps them again. In fact, this goes on for 450 years. And God uses what we know as judges today, way different than what judges were back then, but 12 different judges through this entire process. Now, me and you, we know a judge and we see in our mind, black robe, gavel, a jury and a courtroom. A little bit different back then. God found someone that he appointed as a judge to keep the Israelites in line, almost like a general to a soldier settled disputes, and was there to keep them on track. And every time that judge got them back on track, they went through the vicious cycle again, and they fell victim to their surroundings. Whether the judge passed away and that generation just lost sight of God, they started worshiping idols. They started doing things that God did not want them to do and that Joshua warned them about and that the judges got them back on track. You know, here's something profound for you to hear that I heard, and I think I heard it through a song, but the devil learns from your mistakes even when you don't. And that vicious cycle kept carrying out over and over and over again. And God, in this story, is going to begin with his fifth judge, because he is a God of patience, and he is willing to keep plugging along to help his people. So let's open up our Bibles our story begins with the fifth judge in Judges 6.1. I'm going to set the scene here. We're going to read some scripture. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the marauders from Midian... Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel. They camped in their land, destroying their crops as far as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat. They took all their sheep, goats, cattle, and donkey. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts, and they arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count. They stayed in the land, and they stripped it bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation. Let me tell you something. If there's people in your neighborhood that you're too scared to come out of your house, those are some bad people. These Midianites were no joke, and they were taking their food, and people that were in that land were hangry. You know what hangry is? They're hungry, they're angry, and they're scared, and they're hiding in mountains and caves, and the Midianites have no mercy, and there are tons of them. They said there's so many of them, the word says that it looked like locusts and the way they set up shop. So what do the Israelites do? Well, they cry out for help. So here's the cycle. Lord, help. There are so many Midianites and we just can't. We, I'm starving. I want to eat. So the Lord answers their call. God decides to appoint a fifth judge. And this is where we meet Gideon for the first time. So we're in Judges 6.11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, 
of the clan of Abizer, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. All right, let me describe the scene. Um, I've never been on a farm. I've driven past a farm. And I don't know how many farmers are in here, but I had no idea what threshing meant. And I actually found out wheat is good because it has grain in it. And threshing means that you're taking the grain from the wheat. So threshing is where you take this stalk of wheat and you beat it on the rock and the grain falls down and the good stuff stays. And if you're doing it right, you do it up on a hilltop back then. So the wind would blow and take the stalk away. Kind of a twofold system. Where's Gideon? He's in a wine press doing this job. So back then, a wine press is a dark place, like a basement, where the wine would be able to be an environment to ferment, and the temperature was just right. So let me ask you this. When you're that scared, and you're that much of a coward, you're doing a job that is that much harder just because you have no faith and you are that fearful of what could be. See, if he was courageous, if he was full of faith, he would have did the job up on the hill where the wind was blowing like you're supposed to. But that's where we find Gideon hiding in a wine press, doing a job that he should have been doing somewhere else. But his faith was so low. And guess what? God still finds him. So there's people here today, and I'm guilty of it, where there's something I've got to do for the day, but I took the long route to get there. I did not face the fear that I should have overcome that day because I chose not to partner with God and have the faith. I did not find my faith, and I did it the hard way. Anybody can relate to that? Well, God still will find you just like he found Gideon. And in Judges 6, 12 through 13, God comes on the scene. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. All right, let's stop for just one second. Gideon, let's go back to the way he's feeling. Deserted, alone, scared, fearful, abandoned. God's not with him. And God shows up on the scene and says, and calls him what? Mighty hero. All right. You look up the word mighty, you look up hero in your mind, you look it up and you think hero facing the enemy when danger arrives, conquering, winning, victorious, courageous. This is the total opposite of what he is feeling. Why? Because God sees you the way you don't see yourself. See, God He sees the best in you, and God sees you in his image. God sees everyone here as a warrior. He was already renaming and reclaiming his child by calling him Mighty Hero. Right there on the spot. The second thing he said was, God is with you. So he basically introduced himself. I'm here. Now, how does Gideon react? Gideon reacts. He's got no faith, and he replies like this in Scripture. It says, Sir... If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to these Midianites? See, look, the way I see it is Gideon's sitting there going, okay, you're God and I'm a warrior, a mighty hero. No, 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 no. Listen, you got this twisted. Look around here for a minute. I don't know if you saw these Midianites, but we're hungry, hangry. In fact, they're everywhere. And we are not winning. 
And I'm in this wine press bashing wheat on a rock to get the grain out where I should be up there. I'm a hero? No, I'm no hero. So Gideon does not believe. But God's reply, Judges 6.14, the Lord turned to him and said, go with strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. And he follows up by saying, I am sending you. See, God wasn't going to have it. God basically said to him, listen, I understand maybe in my mind, and he didn't even really pay attention to it, that you might think you're not able to do what I'm telling you to do because you don't feel like you're strong enough. So he tells him right away, just go with the strength you have. Go with what you have. Because when you partner with God and he's with you, that's a whole different strength. That's a whole different level of what you're capable of doing. So he immediately identifies with him by saying, fine, if that's the only strength you have, go ahead and do that. I'm going to be with you. But the key there is that God was telling him to take action because faith without works is, that's right. Now Gideon still replies and says what? The, the famous word we all say to God. You ever do this one? It's on the other side of us. But, right? But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least of my entire family. He's basically saying here, look, you're talking about me again. You're not realizing where I come from. I'm in the poorest neighborhood, and of my family, I am the weakest link. When we do family fun activities and we're playing kickball, they don't even pick me. I'm the weakest link, God. Do you understand who you're talking to? That's what he's trying to tell God right there. And God responds, and he says, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. He reminds them again, you're not listening, son. I will be with you, and you don't know my power, but I don't care who's out there. I'll make it so the whole game shifts. This battle that you see that is too hard for you, I'm going to turn it into as if you were fighting just one man. That's some serious power. He's reminding Gideon who he is and what he can do. And he's telling him, yes, it's me. But you know what? Gideon is still not buying it. He's not. If you look at Judges 6.17, Gideon replies again and says, all right, look, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign. Prove to me that this is really the Lord speaking to me. Anybody ever do that before? Look for a sign? Lord, if this is really going to happen when I'm driving to work today, if you can get a bird to just fly across the hood of my car, then I know it's you. If my phone rings right now, I mean, I just had lunch, and if the phone rings, then I'll do it. Anybody have thoughts like that go through their head? See, you got more in common with Gideon too. But here's what I love. I found very humorous is that Gideon is, is he actually is more courageous than you think. He's got the audacity to tell God, Hey, don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. Now, look, going back to my parents in the room, do you ever have a kid sitting in front of you and you look at him and you already know what it's going to happen? You already know what it's going to be. And the child looks at you and says, Hold on just a minute. I'll be right back. And you look at them like, whoa, 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 where are you going? Like, I'm in charge. I already know what's going to happen. You're not going anywhere. Did you ever have that experience, anybody? How patient is God? Because he follows right up and says, I will stay here until you return. Almost like a grin on his face where he's like, all right, go do your thing. Do what you got to do. 
Because see, Gideon is skeptical and doubtful, and he doesn't trust at all. There is no trust whatsoever, and he wants God to prove to him that this is really God. So what happens? Well, I call it the goat story. Remember when he says, I'll be right back? My man ran home and got a whole bunch of groceries. One of them was a goat. He prepared a goat. I don't know how long that takes, but God's waiting longer than I think you think you know. He prepared a goat, got some bread and some broth. And then he brings it back in front of God, and God says, what is all this? And he's like, I'm preparing my offering. And the angel of the Lord takes his staff, he tells him to put it on the rock, and he touches it with his staff, boof, and consumed it. Food disappeared. But guess what? So did the angel. And that's when Gideon immediately realized, oh, no, this is God. See, there were two sides of the coin. He was playing 50-50. He was going, this might be God or this might not be God. Guess what? It was God. So he cries out and says, I'm going to die. Now, God being patient and a forgiving God, he's also a peaceful God. And he calmed Gideon down and said, son, you're not going to die. Just relax. There's going to be no harm to you, basically. And told him, just chill out, okay? So now Gideon, because he realized that that was God, he's got a little bit of faith. And he looks around and he says to himself, if this is God, which it is, and it was just proved to him, he takes action. What's the first thing he wants to do out of respect? He builds an altar to God. And the altar he names is called Yahweh Shalom. And he names it, which is what it means, the Lord of peace. It's the first thing he did to take action when he recognized that he was dealing with the real God. So now God looks at this when you take action. And you know what God says? The very next thing God did was going to put him to work. In steps obedience. This is where God looks at you and says, okay, I got a little faith in you. You took a little action. Let's see if you'll do what I say to do next. So God introduces obedience. Now, this is a very high bar for me, okay? But the next segment of this story is where God basically asked Gideon to do this task and see if he's obedient. Now, let's, let's go into the task real quickly. I'm just going to recap. I'm not going to read the scripture just for time's sake. But God asked him to go down, get his father's second bull, and pull down your father's altar to the God of Baal. He told him to cut down the Asherah pole, which was an idol to a goddess, not our God. He said, build an altar to the Lord your God. Sacrifice your dad's bull. And burn it all up with that pole you knocked down. All right, let's set the tone, okay? Because this is a community deal. This is an altar that his dad had built to another god, Baal. And this is his dad's stuff. Anybody familiar with their dad's stuff? The sports car in the garage? The baseball collection? Dad's tools in his shed? Hold on a minute. You want me to go ruin this? That's like taking the sports car when dad's not home driving it down somewhere, and God said, light it on fire. Burn it up and build an altar for me right there. He took his dad's second bull, which was nice. I guess his first bull was better. But this is, this for me, this is something that I would never touch my dad's tools. You weren't allowed to. And if you did, you were in some big trouble. Okay? Gideon had that courage, though, because he just saw God. His belief was from here to here, and he was willing to do anything. So he did. Now, Scripture tells us he did this in the middle of the night with 10 servants. Maybe that's cowardly. Maybe it's smart. 
I know if I was going to be forced to do something to my dad's tools or the sports car, I'd probably do it when nobody's really around. But he did it. And so what it did for him was it proved to God that God was willing to then continue to work with him. That he was proving to God that, look, I'll be obedient no matter what the task is. And God is preparing him for what is to come. So he had trust now, a little bit of belief, action, and he started sprinkling in some obedience, right? So what happens the next morning when all of this is burnt up and the altar's there? All the people of the tribe are like, who did this? Word gets out. Gideon did it. And the tribe's like, hey, is Gideon home? We need to kill him. They want blood because they were all worshiping these idols. And what Gideon did was, you know, an enormous task and was so brave. And they're just thinking, this guy doesn't know. We got to kill him. He can't do this. Here's what's cool with God's plan is that the father was home. And I don't even think he's mad at him. He just realizes he's got to save his son's own skin. And he says to him, hey, listen, this is not, this isn't your deal to fight in your battle. Let the God of Baal defend himself. And right there, Gideon's name changed. He's about to get kicked for uh, kickball again, maybe even in the first round. His whole identity just changed just because he was obedient. He went from the weakest link in his family to now he is renamed and actually named him Jerub Baal. Let Baal deal with with him. I'm not sure what that really means, but I do know he had a new identity. So he's pumped up. He's walking around, I know for sure, pumped up with belief ever, ever since he made these actions happen, and he's at a very high level of belief. So God prepares the army. God basically, if you go to Scripture, clothes Gideon with power to recruit an army. And he recruits an army. He blows the ram's horn. All the other tribes get communicated to, and 32,000 men show up. 32,000 men show up to back Gideon for him to lead them into a battle against the Midianites. But you know what comes back now that you've done that? You got 32,000 men that you're responsible for. And mental ping pong starts to come in. Anybody ever had mental ping pong? See, now you've, you've built your faith a little bit. You took the action, and what comes sinking in is that fear and that doubt. The, des- the, the, the devil just starts whispering. He starts telling you, this ain't real. Or in his case, I'm sure the whispers were, you got all these people down here, and now you're in charge. What's going to happen if this doesn't work? There's a lot of dads and moms out here. They got family. All their kids are counting on them. You better win. So what does Gideon do? Judges 6.36, he replies and asks God, hey, listen, if you're truly going to rescue Israel as you promised with me, prove it to me this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight, and if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I'm going to know you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. Now, look, I don't know nothing about no lambskin or threshing floor. I do know about a car in the driveway. And if you ask God to keep your car dry, but have the ground wet in the morning with dew, that's a serious miracle. So guess what? God is patient and comes through and he does this miracle. Okay. He keeps the ground dry and he makes the lambskin wet with dew, but he's still doubtful because again, the, the, you know, the devil comes right back in, even though you see, he's seen another miracle and the devil comes in and says, ah, that was coincidence. 
That happens. That could happen. Scientifically, that can happen. That's not a big deal. That was special lambskin. <laughs> Did you put out the right lambskin? There's the mental ping pong, and there's the doubt. So what does Gideon ask? This is great. 639, Judges. Then Gideon said to God, hey, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece be dry while the ground is wet with dew. That night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Man, he is so patient. Can you imagine? Oh, you, want, you need another test? You want me to flip this? You want vice versa now? Really? Wow. Okay. You didn't see it the first time? No problem. But you know why? Because God knows what we're battling. He knows the enemy is going to come and start whispering that mess in your ear and fill you with fear and doubt. He knows unequivocally. And so what does he do? He keeps performing for you when you ask. That's amazing. So his belief is back. He's ready. He's got the army. They're set up at camp and they're ready to go. Curveball coming. You ready? God realizes that, well, the belief is high. The men are in place, but that's a lot of people. And I don't need these Israelites getting confused their strength with my strength. I mean, gosh, when this victory comes through with all those people, they might start talking like, wow, look what we did. I need to fix this. So how does God fix it? Judges 7, 3 through 8. Therefore, tell the people, and he's talking to the men now. He's telling Gideon to talk to the whole army. Whoever is timid or afraid may leave, with the mount may leave this mountain and go home. And 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. The Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord said to them, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hand and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who actually kneel down and drink the water with their mouths directly from the stream. Now, only 300 of the men drank from their hand. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths from the stream. So the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you, give you victory over the Midianites, send all the other ones home. So Gideon collected all the provisions and ram horns of all the other warriors, and he sent them home, but he kept 300 men with him. Now that was a lot of scripture, okay? But let me just break this down. I'm not a general in the army. I've seen him on TV. I know there's people that serve in our military, and I'm very thankful for that. But I have no idea how to conceptualize that many men and losing that many men and what that would mean to go to battle. So in my mind, I thought of finances because I'm a numbers guy and so is God. God is a numbers guy and you want to know how powerful God is? He cuts down 32,000 men in that army. Do you know what the percentage of 300 to 32,000 men is? 0.009375. Forbes, according to this last year, the average income in the United States is $59,428 for the year. 
if you were to cut that income and only keep 0.009375%, that would be $557.14. So what Gideon is now facing is, what I saw was, imagine if God took 99 plus percent of your income for the year. And he said, you're going to be okay. In fact, you're going to be in victory with that amount of money. All year, bills paid, food on the table, mouths are feed, fed, and you're going to be just fine. Bet me. Who's, look, I don't know anybody's finances out here. I don't care if you're making $100,000. That's $1,000 for the year. $200,000? $1,000 for the year. God is showing his power in extraordinary numbers right now. He is dealing with less than 1% of an army that Gideon thought he had. So what did that do to Gideon's faith? Remember how high it was? What would that do to your faith if you knew you only had to live on $550-something for the year? Down. I mean, ground level. And he knew this. God already knew what was going to happen, but he had a plan. He already knew. Judges 7, 9 through 11. That night the Lord said, get up, go down to the Midian camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. See, God had to give him one last belief booster. And for me, this is, this is like, anybody ever watch sports and you already know the score? Somebody told you or you saw it, but you wanted to watch the game. I don't care what sporting event it is. When you know the score and you know your team already won, you're in a much different position watching that game than you are when you're on edge and you don't know what's going on. So what this is right here, what God's about to set him up for, that's that where you're, you're watching the game and you already know the score, but it's the fourth quarter and they're down 20 points, two minutes left. There is no way this team can win, but you saw the score. You saw the score. You're, you're unshakable. If somebody walked in the room and said, ah, oh, your team's about to lose, bet me. I'm not encouraging betting, but that's a good bet. You're going to win some money, okay? God's showing him what the story was before he even saw it, and how did he do it? Gideon goes down with his servant, and he gets close enough to the enemy's camp, and he actually overhears one of the enemy talking about a dream they had last night. And the enemy is describing this dream, and it's a silly dream, but it worked. It was a loaf of barley bread that came rumbling down and crushing the tents inside the Midianites' camps. And here's what's key is he says, he says, Gideon will have victory over the Midianites. That's all Gideon had to hear. Once he heard that, he bowed down and gave God the glory and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. We have won. He is fired up. He runs all the way back home. He gets his entire army, 300 less than 1%, but his belief is through the roof. Judges 7 through 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in the worship before the Lord. He returned to the Israelite camp and he shouted, get up for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. That's it. Now, I'm not going to get into the battle. It's a, it's a, it's a very strategic battle, <laughs> um, but I told you they already won. He got his men fired up. He goes down there, and I told you he already won. It was an interesting technique. I mean, if you look at the plan, it had to do with ram horns, blazing torches, clay jars, and a bunch of shouting. 
Less than 1%. By the way, I don't think I mentioned this number. Do you know how many men were in the army for the Midianites? I think this will help. Let it sink in. 135,000. 300 men against 135,000. God had a plan. I'm pretty sure that in the war room over the course of history, nobody's used any clay jars, fiery torches, screaming and shouting. But you know what? God's got a plan at the right time, at the right place. And God actually made that battle happen, and it was all because of him, right? So he gets all the glory in that, and that battle was won, not on technique, not on numbers, but on God's power. So I'm going to recap here. God wants to partner with you, okay? He wants you to exercise your faith. I hope you were very um, eager to learn a little bit more about how Gideon started exercising his faith and, how, faith and how God helped him use all of those different actions he took to get his glory. And before we, before we close today, I, I want to prove to you that everything you just heard in the story, you're already doing. I want everybody to stand up real quick for those of you that can. All right, sit down. Don't be mad at me. You're probably thinking, he just wanted to do that, see if he can do it. Kind of. It was fun. But you know what you just did? You just exercised your faith. I'm going to tell you why. Did anybody question the integrity of that chair? Any thoughts come in saying, ooh, I wonder who made this chair? Is it going to hold me? Am I going to miss the chair? Did you just sit down without looking? You just did something without seeing it? Isn't that what faith is? Seeing it in the unseen before you can actually have it? Did you obey? Did you take action? Look, the four things I kept seeing repeating over and over and over again was trust, belief, action, and obedience. And each time it kept building Gideon's faith over and over again. If we were playing Scrabble and you want to remember that, mix up the words. It spells boat, B-O-A-T. But it doesn't go in my order. And I can't spell Tiba'ayo. But the first thing I recognized was he started with trust. All of us have our own battles to fight here. All of us have gone through a roller coaster ride of life whether you're just getting started or you're seasoned, there are battles to fight. And you know what you're going to need when that battle comes? You're going to need your faith. And you better exercise it. You've got two choices, and that's faith over fear. And if you meditate on the devil's lies, you are choosing fear. You don't even know you're operating in it, but you are. Those whispers that you act on or don't act on, those whispers that come from the enemy, that's fear. Don't meditate on that. Choose faith. Meditate on God's promises. Meditate on those and take action. That's faith. That's how you operate in God. That's how you can partner with God when you start exercising that faith and start choosing that over fear. Listen, I love this analogy. I want you to picture a, a body lifter with all the muscles. Kind of looks like me. Does not look like me. I'm talking about the real deal. The one that's got all the bumps, wins all the trophies. And I want you to picture 500 pounds of weight right here. Could you get up out of that chair and come lift it? How about the body lifter? Do you, do you believe he could or she could? They prepared every day for a number of days with their obedience to lift that amount of weight. Whatever the battle is that you're facing, 
however heavy it may be, your faith is what will activate God's power. And when you partner with him and your faith is built up, you'll be that body lifter and you can lift the weight and get through the battle. You can claim that victory because of God and because of the faith when you act. I hope you were able to see that with the story of Gideon. I believe before I go, there are three groups of people in this room. I believe there are people that may not have any faith or do not know faith. If you're listening online, I believe there might be even someone out there that doesn't have faith right now. That's one group. I believe there's another group that maybe used to have faith and they lost it. And you want to know how to get it back. But I know there are people in this room. I know the people in this room that that already have faith and you want to know how to keep it. There's your recipe. Gideon just gave it to us. It starts with trust. That will build your belief. Then you need to take action and then you need to be obedient to that action. Find that faith, grow that faith, and keep that faith. And it starts with trust. Thank you for listening.